Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from our congregation at Believers Mennonite Church of Hampton, Connecticut. And uh, it's a privilege to be here with you again this morning and to share with you uh, in this way. We find ourselves at an interesting time of the year. I love this time of the year. Uh, it's Christmas time. It's a holiday season. And there's a lot of hustle and bustle that is going on around us. <clears throat> and uh, we sing Christmas songs. I was encouraged by the songs that we sang here this morning. Just the message of those songs, the, the, the hope, the peace, the joy. Uh, if you follow the, uh, the, the line of thinking in those, in those songs. And I was encouraged by that. As, um, as we sang together this morning. And yet, as we, as we think about the holiday season, as we think about uh, Christmas time and the, the world around us right now, we, we see, we evaluate the world around us, and there's a lot of things that we can be concerned about if we choose to be concerned about them. There's world events. There's things happening in the world around us that are troubling at times. Um, there's culture wars that are going on. Um, for some of us, we, uh, we're starting to feel the effects of time and aging in our body. And uh, some, sometimes that is unpleasant to think about. <clears throat> there's changes in uh, maybe in your family, your parents aren't as able as what they used to be, or maybe your children are out of the house and they're making decisions um, that uh, maybe are a blessing to you or maybe not as much. And so there's, there's a lot of things going on, especially in this holiday season. We can tend to evaluate our lives and uh, think about it. And so it's, it's a season of peace and joy, but sometimes as we look around at our world and our circumstances, we get bogged down and we find ourselves shaken and anxious about the future. And the foundations of our lives can be shaken. I've, I've entitled the message this morning, What Should the Righteous Do? What Should the Righteous Do? And, and as I was listening to the devotional and, and thinking about the time we're in, I thought maybe I should have changed the title, and I should have said Surviving the Holiday Blues. Um, so you can, you can uh, write that down as a title if you want to. But what should the righteous do? Some time ago, a couple months ago, I was reading... Uh, as I can probably do too much, I was reading the, my morning paper, which these days is a uh, mixture of websites. I, I don't know if we even have a morning newspaper that comes that's delivered to the front door anymore. There probably is if you pay enough for it, but it's cheaper to just go online. And as I was, as I was reading uh, my, uh, my morning paper, um, I, I ran across this article. The, the title of the article was um, U.S. Religious Leaders Explain Why Faith in God Hit Lowest Level Ever, Say COVID Made It Worse. And so just a couple of things from this article. This poll, apparently there was a recent Gallup poll. Uh, it was done this summer, I believe, uh, by the Gallup organization that says that the Americans' faith in God has hit an all-time low. All right. Americans' faith in God has hit an all-time low, and this is probably not a surprise to many of you as you think about what is happening in our world today. The polls show that 81% of Americans believe in God, which is a six-point drop from 2017 and represents the lowest percentage Gallup has ever recorded. 
This biggest drop in faith in terms of age groups was a 10% decline in 18 to 29-year-olds who say they believe in God. And so there's this, there's this drop in faith, especially among the younger generation. Bart Barber, who is a pastor of First Baptist Church of, of Farmersville in East Texas, he's also the president of Southern Baptist Convention, he said this, more people in the United States have not only no connection to faith congregation, but also really no time in life to stop and contemplate anything spiritual. We become so busy and so, um, so fascinated with the things around us that we don't have time to, to, uh, to have that connection with the body of believers. Here's another one. The Reverend Lawrence R. Rass, Jr., the president of Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana, uh, he said this, people are continuing to search and continuing to think about the larger questions, but the lack of dedicated spaces and time set aside for that leads to the chaos we see around us presently. And so people aren't taking the time to, to take this Sunday morning, for instance, to go and worship and worship God. It doesn't give them that theological grounding, that foundation that is so needed in our lives. Here's another one. Bishop Thomas J. Brickerton. He's the president of the Council of Bishops of the United Methodist Church. He said this, we're missing two or three generations of people who aren't steeped in the rhythm of liturgy, steeped in the rhythm or the liturgy of the church. They're not involved in the relationships in the church. They're doing other things, Brickerton said. For me to practice, the practice of my faith is what steeps my deep in belief in God. And if you get generations that aren't in the church practicing the rhythm of worship or practicing their faith, there is no surprise that they are now doubting whether or not God exists. And so the, the practice of our faith is important. The way we live it out on a daily basis is important. It sets the foundation of, of um, the rest of our lives and how we believe in God. And so I'd like for us, as, as I think about that, um, and as I think about everything that's going on in the world today, and it seems like our foundation should be shaken, or that the foundations are being shaken, what, what are we going to do about that? What should the righteous do? You can turn with me to Psalm 11 for a text this morning. We'll come back to Isaiah chapter 6 a little bit later, but I'd like to read the verses here in Psalm 11. Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids behold, his eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So here we have a psalm of David. We don't know for sure when David wrote this psalm. 
But commentators think it may have been at the time when David was running from, da- uh, from, from Saul. And as David was running from Saul, he came to a little town of Nob. And it was called the town of priests. And apparently it was where the tabernacle was at this time. And as he came to this town, his men must have been tired and hungry, and they were looking for something to eat. And so David goes in, uh, he goes to the tabernacle, he talks to the priest, Ahimelech, and he says, Ahimelech, we're tired, we're hungry, can you give us some of the bread? They, had the, the, they, they made fresh showbread every day for the tabernacle. And so David is asking for some of that bread. And so there was some conversation there with Ahimelech, and uh, he, he gives the bread to David and to, uh, to his men, and they, they eat the bread. He also gets the sword of Goliath, and he moves on. However, there was a man there that day. His name was Doeg the Edomite, and he apparently did not like David and didn't like he was a loyalist to Saul. And so he goes back to Saul, and sometime later, Saul is, is going to pursue after David. And, and Doeg, the Edomite, he tells Saul what David did. And uh, Saul becomes angry. He calls Ahimelech, the priest, and he said, why did you do this? Why did you support David? And Ahimelech, he's, he says, I didn't know. David's your trusted man. What, what do you have against him? Um, why, are you, why are you upset with me? And so um, Saul says, David was running from me, and you helped him out. And as a result, I'm going to kill you. You are not going to survive this. And Saul commanded his men, he commanded his foot soldiers, just kill Ahimelech and all the priests as a result of this. There was 85 priests. Saul's men said, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do it. And so Saul asked Doeg, the Edomite, to do it, and he went ahead and did it. They killed 85 men that day that wore the linen ephod. Not only that, they also killed everybody in the, in the city of Nob. Um, men, women, children, and animals. And it's suggested that this psalm was written in that context, around that time. And you want to talk about shaking of the foundations. That was a shaking of the foundations. Here you have a political leader wiping out a whole town of priests and killing the, the, the men of God in that. And so that was a shaking of the foundations. Now I'm going to read a couple of verses again and think about it in that context. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And David is saying here, the foundations, it, it seems like he, to me, he, it seems like he's saying the foundation is being destroyed. The, the, the religious leaders were wiped out here in this town. And yet, what can a righteous man do? There's two options that were given here. One, you can flee as a bird to your mountain. Now, there's going to be a time when we need to flee to our mountain, when we can flee to the holy city of Zion. But I don't know that whenever the foundations are being shaken that we just need to run to the mountain. I don't know what your mountain is when the foundations are shaken. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's, maybe it's uh, influence. Maybe it's burying your head in your phone and your screen time. Um, we, we find different things to do. And I think sometimes we can, we can do that for a little bit, but we can't stay there. Um, but that is the one, the one response. You can flee as a bird to your mountain. Or 
we can put our trust in the Lord. We can put our trust in the Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? What is your response going to be when your foundation is shaken? And maybe a follow-up question could be, what is your foundation? Where, where are you finding your foundation? We have here as well some reactions um, of God to the people on earth. Verse 4, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous. So that's the one response of, of the Lord. He trieth and examines the righteous in earth. He loves them, but he hateth the wicked and he punisheth them. And so which one, which group will we be a part of? The righteous should trust the Lord, not run to some mountain, not run to some coping mechanism, but rather we need to trust in the Lord. In the Lord put I my trust. Now you can turn over to Isaiah chapter 6. Thank you, Marcus, for reading this this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. And I won't reread this, but I want to think about this a little bit as well. It start, the chapter starts out and says this. In the year that King Uzziah died. Now, when we study the Bible, the Bible references itself. What happened the king that Uzziah died, or the year King Uzziah died? What, what is, it, is there any significance in that? And so we have um, the King Uzziah is, is referenced in Second Chronicles chapter 26. And I'd like to read a couple of verses here and, and think about foundations being shaken here in this passage. Second Chronicles chapter 26, I'm going to start in verse 16. But when he was strong, and that's talking about Uzziah. You see, Uzziah was a good king, for the most part. He was a, a righteous king that followed after God. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God and went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altar of incense. Now, he wasn't supposed to do this. He was, Uzziah was a king from the tribe of Judah. He was not supposed to be going into the tabernacle and offering a sacrifice. Verse 17, And Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him fourscore priests. Now, what's fourscore? That's eighty. Okay, 80 priests went with him that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests of the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest, and all the priests looked upon him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they thrust him out from thence. Yea, himself hasted also to go out, because the Lord had smitten him. And Uzziah the king was a leper unto the day of his death, and dwelt in a several house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. 
And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So here we have this king who decides, who becomes proud in his heart, and he decides that he's going to go in and do the job of the priests. He's going to, to take it into his hands, and, and he's going to go in. And there's, according to this, there was 81 priests that tried to stop him, saying, I, you, you don't do this. This is not the way it's supposed to be done. And yet he insisted, and he went in and, and tried to offer, and God smote him with a punishment, smote the king of their country, the king of Judah, uh, with leprosy. And so this is a shaking of the foundations that was going on even in Isaiah's day, a shaking of the foundations, when leadership does not fulfill their God-given role and responsibility and steps out of that, there's a shaking of the foundation that happens within their realm of leadership. I don't know how long Uzziah lived after this happened. I don't know if he lived for 10 years. It it's unlo- seems unlikely. Um, but he lived as a leper unto the day of his death. His son Jotham uh, then reigned in his stead. And it's interesting. I don't know what all this means. Uh, in the next chapter, it says, uh, Jotham, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah did. Howbeit, he entered not into the temple of the, of the Lord. You could take that as a good thing. He didn't go in and offer um, but it almost seems as if he distanced himself from the worship of the Lord. And the people did yet corruptly. And so the foundations were being shaken, even in the land of Judah in this time. And so we have Isaiah chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting. And so Isaiah was experiencing a time in his life, in the life of his nation, when the foundations were being shaken in a serious way. In the midst of this, in the midst of the foundations being destroyed, Isaiah has this vision. And I've read this chapter many times over the years, and it gives us a, a beautiful picture of God sitting on his throne in his temple, sitting in his temple. Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on his throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple, or the train, that's the hem of his garment, filled the temple. It was extensive, expansive, and um, he covered high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. What's a seraphim? Um, that's something you can study this week. It's, 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 um, each one had six wings. With twain, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet. And with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What was Isaiah's response to this? Isaiah, Isaiah responded in humility and worship. He recognized his humanity in verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so, Isaiah could have responded and said, you know what? Things are so bad. I'm not going to do anything. I'm going to go hide. I'm going to go find my mountain. And I'm going to hide out there until things get better. But that's not what he said. He says, here am I. Send me. 
he was willing to go. But he also recognized that it wasn't just about himself. As the righteous, we must be humble, like Isaiah was here, and not proud in standing for truth. He was willing to be used of God in how God wanted to use him. Verse 8, the Lord says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Verse 9, he said, God said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert, and be healed. Isaiah was sent on a mission that was next to impossible. The people weren't going to hear. They weren't going to hear what he had to say, even though the foundations were being shaken at the core, yet they weren't going to hear. And so Isaiah was sent to preach. He was sent to to be a teller of the goodness of God and of of the judgment of God uh, to the nation of Israel. God knew how the people would respond, and yet Isaiah was sent. Why didn't God send the seraphim? Why didn't, wouldn't that have been a, a, a good way to, to wake the people of Israel up? He could have sent these seraphims with their six wings and, and really made a statement. But that's not the way that God often chooses to speak. He uses men and women to be tellers. And so we, are, we should be tellers as well. And so here from this passage, I believe we see that the righteous should worship the Lord. So the righteous should trust the Lord. The righteous should worship the Lord. And out of that worship, as we worship, there's a humility that comes from that and and spurs us uh, to action as well. So what about us today? Um, as As I look at our world today, and I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Jude and I'd spend the rest of of our time here today in in the book of Jude, several verses I'd like to read, especially as we think about the the shaking of the foundations that we have in our world today and how we should respond to that. Jude, um, verse 17 is where we'll start here today. And I, Jude has has, uh, some interesting things to say. It's an interesting little book, um, but a couple of of precious verses here at the end of the book. Verse 17. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God or Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.
I think Jude here gives um, a good description of what we face in our world today as we think about the foundations that sometimes seem to be crumbling in the world around us. Verse 18, how they how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual or what that means is driven by their senses, not having the spirit. And this this really defines a lot of what we see in our culture today. I was struck um, about 10 days ago, two weeks ago, something like that. I, I do some work with choice books. And um, I had an opportunity to be out on the road. I, was, I went into um, restocking. I was restocking some stores and uh, was in and out of a uh, nationwide pharmacy chain uh, multiple times in the day. And uh, when you're in and out of stores uh, on a regular basis, sometimes well, there's background music, there's things going on, and you kind of, after a while, you pick up a theme. And uh, there was this one ad, and I don't have the exact text of the ad that was playing over this pharmacy speakers, but it said something like this. At this pharmacy, we're celebrating individuality and diversity. We don't care if your pronouns are he, him, she, her, or them there. The most important pronoun is you. Now, you want to talk about starting to shake the foundations of our culture and of our world today when we cannot agree on what it means to be human, we have entered a time where concrete truth is no longer concrete. The basic foundational truths of what is man or woman and what it means to be human is being challenged. We can't agree on, on, on what... Um, on what people are called. And this is a very sensitive subject. I, I understand that. And yet, as, as we look at our world today, it shakes us at the core of who we are and how we interact with our world if, uh, and, and, and how we respond. I think we need to be careful in how we respond. What should the righteous do in a climate and in a time like this? I've read uh, parts of a book. Um, I, I have this habit. Uh, when, I, when I start books, I often don't finish it. And so I, I can't say that I read the whole book, but I've read parts of this book. It's called Holy Sexuality by Christopher Yon. And he said this. He says, Being gay is no longer what I'm attracted to, what I desire, or what I do. It's who I am. In the conversation around sexuality, this subtle shift from what to who, has created a radically distorted view of personhood. Now, I want you to think about that just, just briefly. This, this transition, you can call it the shaking of the foundation of what we really are and who we, how we think about ourselves. The transition from what, there's a subtle shift from what to who. And so, what I do is now who I am. And we could go to Romans 
chapter 1, and we won't do that here this morning. But it talks about that progression in Romans 1, where you no longer glorify God as God, but you make yourself God. And that's essentially what is happening here. So then what you have is a situation where you rebuke the sin of homosexuality, and there's offense because the the identity has been attacked. We don't want to be attacking people. That's not what we want to do. And sometimes when our foundation is being shaken, the first thing we do is we want to go hide in our mountain, we want to go hide under a rock, and then we attack those that are shaking our foundation. However, I think it's important that we don't attack the person. We don't need to be unkind. However, we need to lead them to walk back the steps to depravity so that the person can see who God is, so that the identity can be corrected. And until that person can see who they really are, it's going to be, um, it's going to be taken as an attack when we talk about what is inconsistent or what is wrong in their, in their lives. Christopher Yan goes on to say this, if I have a flawed view, or if we have a flawed view of who we are, We'll have a flawed personal ethic. And if we have a a flawed personal ethic, we'll have a flawed view of who we are. Personhood affects practice, and practice affects personhood. And so as we think about the foundations being shaken, we need to be careful that we don't just go out there and just attack those that are shaking the foundations. Yes, we need to stand for truth. We need to stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ and of the Word of God. I'm not saying we need to compromise that, but we need to be careful in how we, we um, go on the attack there. When we use our own feelings to define truth, we are building on a shifty foundation. It is setting up myself as God. And just, just remember uh, the promise or the deception of the, the serpent to Eve in the garden. Um, the serpent said, Then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And so when we use our senses, when they become God, essentially, they become our identity, they become who we are. Um, that, is, that is a shifty foundation. Because then when our senses change, then our, um, our foundation changes as well. The senses must be shaped and formed by foundational truths. It's not like all of our senses are bad. Our senses are good. There are, there are good things about our senses, but it's when our senses must be shaped and formed by the foundational truths and not the foundational truths shaped and formed by our senses. And so... What, what, is, what is the basis? Are we saying that, that our senses are the foundational truth, or are we saying that the Bible, the Word of God, who Jesus Christ is, is the foundational truth? And, and they don't go together. Our senses need to come out of our foundational truth of who Jesus is. And so our senses need to be exercised. Uh, we could go over and look at, at, at Hebrews. Um, the, the Hebrews writer was saying, Look, you should have been at a point where you were a teacher. However, 
you have to learn again the basics of, of, um, of the gospel. You need to be taught the basics, the milk of the word. That, that's not good. Exercise your senses so that you can handle the strong meat. And that's what discipline really is. It's exercising the senses. It's building our, our senses are, are, um, are, are formed and shaped uh, from our foundation, the foundation of the word of God. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, driven by the senses, having not the spirit. And so what should the righteous do in this culture and in this, in this place? I want to give you four practical ways, just briefly here, as we look at Jude, four practical ways to practice your faithfulness. And I think this can be, in the midst of the holiday season, when you look at your world and the foundation seems a little cracked, maybe there's some things that seem on the horizon that are threatening, things that are scary, things that don't feel good. We don't just have to flee to the mountain. We don't have to just hide ourselves under a rock. But we have some things here we can do. Verse 20, But ye, beloved, don't be driven by your senses. Don't don't live that way. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Build up your faith. Strengthen your foundation. Do you even know what your foundation is? And I think, I think that's, that's one of the keys here. Where is your foundation? Where are you finding your strength, your fulfillment? We are given the word of God. Study the word for yourself. Don't just take it from your favorite podcaster, your favorite YouTuber, or something like that. Be careful with some of that stuff. I'm not saying you can't listen to some of that. Yeah, some of that stuff can be an encouragement. But we need to be careful that we're rooted and grounded on a foundation that is solid, that's not going to crack when we find out what's behind the person that is speaking through these different mediums and different forms. And so study the word for yourself. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, Think architecture. Y'all are getting, uh, there was an offering taken here for the building fund. Or, or a, a uh, you know, it, it takes work. It's not something that just happens in a day. It's not something you stick in the microwave. And, and just, it happens in a short amount of time. But it's, it's over time. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. And secondly, in these, these four ways to practice faithfulness, praying in the Holy Ghost. Build up yourselves. Pray. It's been said the Christian uh, prayer is the Christian's vital breath. Don't underestimate that. Even in the busyness of the holiday season, remember to pray. The third one here, keep yourselves. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. You know, faithfulness is a personal commitment. It's something that you have to decide. You are going to be faithful. Yes, God gives you the grace. God gives you the strength. But faithfulness is a personal commitment. And even if the foundations of the culture 
even to the foundations of a nation, maybe the foundations of a, hopefully not here, the church, even if that is being shaken, you can still be faithful. Recently, um, at our congregation there in, in Connecticut, I've been um, looking at the seven churches um, from Revelations chapter 2 and 3. And about two weeks ago, I think it was, I preached the, a message on the church, the letter to the church at Sardis. And you know what Jesus said about the church at Sardis? See, that's a dead church right there. He said, they look alive, but they're dead. And I think of all the, the things that Jesus says to the seven churches there in Revelation, that is, that is one of the, the if, if that letter would have been written to me, I think that's one of the hardest things to take. But, but Jesus said to the church at, that, at, at Sardis, I know thy works, I know that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. And so here we have a dead church. And yet, in this church at Sardis, Jesus says this, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And so here we have a promise Remember, keep yourself. Faithfulness is a personal commitment. Here we have a promise to some people that were living in a dead church. And yet they were being faithful. And Jesus says, you know what? You overcome. I'm going to give you a white raiment and you're going to walk with me. And I'm not going to blot out your name. And so faithfulness is a personal commitment. Fourth thing I see here in Jude. Practical ways for faithfulness. Verse 22. And if some have compassion. Making a difference. And so, as I said earlier, when the foundations are breaking down in the world around us, it's easy for us to be critical. It's easy for us to point fingers and say, that's the problem. That's what should have happened. This is how you should change your thinking. That's not what Jude says here. Of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And so it's, it's, it's natural and it's easy for us to be judgmental and, con, and condemning when things break down. However, we need to be humble and realize that without God, we could be at the very same place. So the righteous should trust in God. Trust in the Lord. The righteous should worship the Lord in his temple. And the righteous should be faithful unto the end. When the foundations in the society around us are destroyed, if your foundation is Jesus Christ, your foundation is not destroyed. And I think that's, that's an important part for us to remember, especially as we look at our culture and our society around us, our country. We can, we can get, um, I can imagine 
some conversations around the uh, Christmas meals and, and suppers and things like that as, as we think about our culture. And we can be critical. But let's be careful with that. Let's have compassion. But when, when the foundations around us in society are destroyed, if your foundation is Jesus Christ, your foundation does not need to be destroyed. Learn to study. Learn to listen and discern. And this will aid you in building your foundation so that your foundation is not shaken in your life. And it will help you to know what to do. You know, the answers aren't always easy. Um, as, we, as we think about the struggles that we face in our families, in our culture, we, we shouldn't give glib answers, but we need to have compassion. We need to care. But as we study the Word, as we get to know Jesus Christ, as we follow Him on a daily basis, there's hope. It will help you to know what to do. As I, as I think about Psalm 11 this morning, I believe the choice is in front of us. We can run. We can hide. We can flee as a bird to the mountain. Or we can trust in the Lord. We can worship him in his temple and be faithful to him until he calls us home. Let's kneel together for prayer.